1: Hi, this is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network, New Books and Popular Culture. And today I'm here with Shane Green and Olga Rodriguez Yuo, who are um, two of the editors of Punk Las Americas Edition. Um, so thank you, Olga and Shane, for being here with me today.
0: Thank you for the invite. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Rebecca.
1: Could you start by talking a little about how this book came to be? It's the Is it the fourth or the th- book in the Global Punk series? Is that correct?
0: I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the last two, I think, are almost kind of simultaneous. But I think, you know, sort of project chronogram-wise, ours was kind of in motion in, in, in the fourth space. Um, so it's kind of thought of that way. Um, I guess I guess I could say a little bit about how the book itself comes into being. Uh, it, it I started getting kind of fascinated with uh, this particular band from the mid-1960s, uh, Saginaw, Michigan, and Question Mark and the Mysterians uh, several years ago. For a variety of reasons, I end up writing about that in the book. My chapter is partly about that, um, or partly about my obsession with the lead singer in particular. Um, and that's a long story. I don't want to tell it, but like, that's kind of where... I started i had already published this book about punk in peru in 2016 and that's how olga and i actually know each other because she also has been working on that for many years um and uh i was just like you know after that sort of solo project decided i wanted to do something more collective and was looking around thinking about who i could um kind of get excited about that and olga had actually invited me to an nyu workshop uh when was that like 2013 maybe 2014
2: it was uh, 2013 and um, we I was a, a graduate student at a time and Shane's book wasn't out yet. Um, but I knew he was working on Peruvian punk and we were actually, at that time, I think kind of like the only two people working on it. Um, and we invited some of the people that ended up being in the volume. Um, this was for the Hemispheric Institute in New York and it was just a very chilled out, working group um and it sort of became like an ongoing collaboration since then
0: yeah so it kind of it's kind of like those two things like olga's round table table workshop from many years ago and then my 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 individual book about punk in peru coming out and then wanting to kind of do a much more kind of collective collaborative kind of thing and and um and then you know knowing that i could probably work really well with olga's my partner by the way in case that's not obvious (laughs) Uh, work really well with her and this other friend of ours, colleague of ours, who's based in Lima, Peru, Rodrigo Quijano, who's like the third editor on this volume. And then I'm trying to remember, I mean, we were sort of, you know, we were starting to put it into motion. We had like some drafts of the essays. We knew from the start that we wanted it to be like a combination of essays and what we call paraphernalia, like just sort of interview segments, scene segments, photography, photography. poetry you know excerpts from novels like a whole hodgepodge of different things so it's not kind of purely quote unquote academic um and um in that process uh we got a couple of rejections actually from (laughs) a couple of other presses who were like this seems cool but we have no idea how to market something like that um and i think i don't know if Olga was part of that but for several years i had been basically kind of maybe more symbolically or than not, part of the Punk Scholars Network, like you know, following their Facebook posts and periodically kind of chatting with some of those folks like Mike Besley and Mike Dines and and others. Um, and at some point somebody, it might've been Alex Dent, who's also in the book. He has an essay in the book who's me, hey, have you heard of this global punk series they started at Intellect? I was like, nope. Um, and that was, you know, just kind of started the ball rolling. And I realized it was those same people I had had this kind of Facebook connection with um and then it became a very very obvious place to kind of go to for this kind of kind of project so and they were super they've been super supportive and excited about it so that's kind of how it started
1: yeah i talked to them um so there, yes there's another interview with them about the first uh, couple volumes and they were very excited about this probably they were like you have to talk to shane you have to talk to them about the project so they're very excited about what's going on um so you've divided this into a number of, as you call them, contested territories. So could you maybe even before we get into those, talk about how, why you call them contested territories, like sort of how you um, thought about and constructed
2: um, piecing together this collection?
0: Sure. Olga, you want to?
2: Um, yeah. I mean, we were thinking about, um, we've been meeting as, as part of this Um, collaboration uh, as part of this group and many of the um, things that we wanted to challenge is that big idea that punk is a white male kind of subculture, right? And that when it happens to appear in places like Peru is because it's traveling, right? This idea that the origins of punk are in the UK and then in the US. Um, and we were sort of like looking into that, um, contesting that whole narrative and, and challenge it. Um, and also like ended up thinking about the Americas with, with this group of scholars and, and, and punks and, and producers as also very uh, very contested space meaning a space that if you come from latin america like like i am i was born and raised in, in lima in peru um u.s imperialism is a huge um thing where you're growing up and it's like this whole specter of like um the u.s hovering uh latin america that the uh you know, in the, during the Cold War, which is when, when the war in Peru was happening. Um, and we, we sort of wanted to tackle that story of like America being the place that is called America for the, for the whole continent. Right. And, um, not thinking about uh south america for example or like central america or the caribbean right as also being the americas and also um me as a peruvian i get i can call myself american right um although i'm not a u.s citizen but i am from the americas so we we sort of wanted to to talk a little bit about that and and um uh, with um, the the um, um, with the work of these scholars, but but also with the work of some of the punk poets that were elaborating on that too.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I mean, I think the only other thing I would add is um, it, it's it's obviously you know it's a section. Each one is a section in the book, and they are basically it's a kind of heuristic device in that way, and it sort of sets up a certain kind of attempt to create kind of thematic, some degree of thematic kind of conversation or continuity within particular sections in the book. And I mean, as such, it's like, it's spatial, like it's a spatial grouping in the book, right? So it's, there's a kind of territorial mapping of different, trying to put different people into conversation with each other in the book. Um, It's also just a heuristic. I mean, I think we thought of, you know, the various kind of forms of challenge that we're trying to present to the way punk has often been presented that Olga just mentioned, and we just we also just really like the idea of territory. Um, it seems seems to kind of go with certain of our other themes of this being a certain kind of critical geopolitics through the lens of punk, of thinking about punk or punk scenes in different places as their own kind of internally complicated and contradictory spaces that you know typically reflect the contradictions at large in those particular regions or countries and you know the entire hemisphere at large. Um, So it's just a way to kind of try to condense all that into like a way to structure a book. (laughs) Um, So, and I mean, it goes to a certain extent um, with the, probably the main, um, first of all, I think, I don't know, I can't speak for Olga, but I feel like we're totally open to the idea that we weren't trying to create an singularly cohesive through line. The whole kind of way we write the introduction emphasizes this notion of radical heterogeneity. And that's that, you know, to the extent that you can sum up the Americas in any way, that might be the best, (laughs) that might be the best way, right? Um, And then the various kind of conflicts and forms of contestation that that gives rise to are, are necessarily part of that conversation. So it was sort of a reflection of our decision to just open ourselves up to like a book that wasn't trying to create a single, a single line, right? Or a single narrative, like a bunch of complicated, conflicting, contesting, contested, uh, narratives precisely. so kind of went with that as well.
1: right. and and so you have this mixture, as you said, I think you called it essays and then paraphernalia, but um, you start the first sort of contested territory is um, two essays. And so can you talk a little bit about what um you know, what was going on in that first section, either you know in the text or or what what conversations they were having?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at the title of it, it's Coloniality and Cultural Resilience. And both of those two essays are, one is by Agustina paz Frontera, who's a sort of pretty well-known sort of feminist journalist, uh, one of the uh, original kind of founders of the Neonomenos, the sort of massive regional-wide kind of feminist uprising that's been happening in Latin America. Uh, but she's writing about her kind of prior experiences with Mapuche, indigenous punks from kind of the borderlands between Chile and Argentina. Uh, And then the second essay is by Thomas Swenson, who's actually a native Alaskan, um, a citizen of a native uh, nation in Alaska and also a native scholar writing about um, punk from that lens. Right. And from having grown up in Anchorage and so on and so forth. And so the kind of through line in that in that section is about, you know, indigeneity, basically. Right. Um, Indigenous survival, resistance, you know, sort of, you know, long-term colonial occupation of Indigenous homelands and so on. And that connects back to, you know, one of the kind of um, pretty basic uh, etymological or genealogical points that we try to make in the introduction, which is that if you do a kind of exhaustive uh, etymology of the term punk, the most likely point of origin for it is actually the Indigenous Lenape, language, right? This, this term punke, um, they were the, the group that are kind of in colonial terms referred to as the Delaware, originally from the Northeast and displaced and or, you know, killed um, and pushed out into Canada and further West into Oklahoma and so on. So there's a kind of an intention to sort of start with the question of indigeneity and including indigenous punks, <laughs> of, of which in the, in the contemporary sense, right? Of which, of course, um, probably the mapu- Mapunkis or the Mapuche punk scene has has been kind of a kind of an interesting case that a lot of people have followed. So that's sort of how that section came together. Um,
1: and it's I don't think it's in this section, but you have now I can't remember a um, like sort of you've mapped out like a word map um, kind of of all sort of the spaces that are represented and the Americas that are represented. Uh, and so I don't know if you can talk a little bit about that sort of visualization of, and it, I think it gets back a little to Olga what you were talking about about you're from America, right? Um, even though we don't think of, you know in the larger sense of the Americas. Um, so can you talk maybe a little bit about that sort of use of representation?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, well, this has like a, an anecdotal aspect to it because he was uh, the three of us, um, Shane, Shane, Rodrigo, and I trying to, you know, combine our voices into in an introduction that sounds like cohesive and it doesn't sound like, you know, um, three different people with very different interests and like academic languages wrote it. So we were sort of like, you know, messing around in, his, in Rodrigo's house in Lima and he had a board. So we started putting uh, words and concepts that, you know, were, were part of the book as an exercise to um, to try to write the introduction. And so we came out with this map, right? That it's very, um, I, th- I think of it as really rich in the, in, for example, when we, if we continue to go into that etymology of the word punk that, uh, Shane was just mentioning, we, we also have the Lenape word, um, there that means, um, if I'm not mistaken, like rotten wood or something like that. And then we have, you know, the traditional P U N K and then punk and then punk, like you would, it was sounding in Latin America as like P A N K or C, you know? Um, and Freaky, which are the punks from Cuba, and and Subte, which are which are the punks from Peru, and it sort of became this way of um, the, seeing punk and its relations to the Americas as contested territories, but also contested and very difficult, um, conflictive. Um, categories like race and migration and dispossession and, and coloniality. Um, So it sort of became a way to, to look at it as thematically, but also conceptually and um, in terms of language too, and, and and how the language um, gets re elaborated in, in in all of these places. Right. And um, that, that was the idea. And, We thought of it as being very visual, which is something that relates a lot to uh, punk aesthetics. Um, So, yeah, that's how it happened.
0: And and I think the you know the only thing that I um, and I, I feel like you know she, you know Olga referred to it as at least in part kind of anecdotal and that's true we didn't have some like master <laughs> master plan from the get go it was more like let's read all this stuff and look at all this stuff that all these people have delivered to us and like what do we do now to write an introduction and so a part of that was what she was talking about in terms of just listing all the kind of main concepts and ideas and key terms including the various ways that punk modern understandings of what punk means gets re-articulated or pronounced in different ways or described as a different term but on the on the flip side of that page is this map of basically cities and regions that are mentioned by the various contributors um with no borders right so i mean i think we didn't really probably consciously think of that when we were doing it, like Raleigh's here, Los Angeles is here, San Antonio's here, Mexico City's here, <laughs> Tegucigalpa's here. We just kind of did it that way. Like, let's just represent it like that, instead of like the typical, like get the download the Google map and, you know, put little site flags everywhere. Like let's just represent it as like sites and regions um and take the borders away, basically, right? So I think symbolically that was kind of the the end result with that particular mapping, visual mapping exercise.
1: So you mentioned language. So I have to ask this question. I was really interested because when we talk about the Americas, right? um, English is not the only language being used and and the zines, you know, some of the zines in there um, have Spanish throughout them, but it was it a conscious choice to uh, make sure everything was primarily published in English? Um, or was that uh, right? Was that a discussion? Was that a call? Did you talk about maybe having this be more bilingual or trilingual? I just was interested in that decision too.
2: Why don't um, you go, Shane?
0: Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, first, first and most important thing to say, there's actually a translation into Spanish that's already done. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do in terms of like revising it, make sure it's good. And then like sort of seeking out some partners in one or maybe multiple Latin American countries to do a kind of Spanish language, Latin America based, um, publication of essentially the same book with probably exactly the same contents or it'll be, you know, minor modifications. Um, so that was, you know, you're talking to two Peruvians and a Peruvianist, like we knew that Spanish was (laughs) coming at some point. Right. Um, One of the reviewers actually asked that question. I don't know if Olga remembers this, but one of them was like, why don't you make it more like multilingual and blah, blah. And like, that is an excellent, wonderful, beautiful idea. Practically speaking, you run into all kinds of problems. Length, like what publisher wants to do a multilingual book uh, when they have a very restricted idea of who their target audience is and so on and so forth. Um, and it's not as though there's no, I mean, there are moments of Spanish and Portuguese, a little moment or two in Mapuche. One of our central analytical concepts is this notion of Cheche, which comes from Aymara, uh, you know, indigenous language from Bolivia. So we were, we were thinking along those lines conceptually, but like, and, and like the final punk manifesto is in Spanish and we provide a translation, but we, we, we reproduce the original in, in Spanish with all of the imagery and everything. Um, so there was some some attention to that, but it just seemed like, practically speaking, kind of impossible to expect um, anyone to want to publish a really, it's already pretty big, <laughs> a really possibly even bigger book um, with multiple languages. Um, and I think this is something we talked about when it kind of came t- time to make that decision, too. We often wonder who it is exactly that expects or wants that kind of book like i don't want to be overly cynical but i suspect that in many occasions it will be the kind of cosmopolitan academic who is multilingual who thinks that would be cool whereas the reality of many parts of the world are people are fairly monolingual right or if they're multilingual it's not necessarily in the context that we're talking about um and so you sort of potentially exclude monolingual people who want to see the whole thing in one or another mostly in one or another language, right? Anyway, so, but yeah.
2: So I think sim- symbolically what what happens there is that, um, you know, people tend to think about, you know, Spanish and uh-huh. it's, tend to think about, about it in terms of English and Spanish and Spanish being, as it is, the, the language of a, a, a population here in the U.S. who's being targeted, targeted in terms of race and and in terms of, uh, political repression and, uh, prosecution, but also like, you know, what's, what's behind that too, is like Spanish is also the language of the colonizers. So it represents us to some extent, but it also fails to represent us in, in other sense too. And, um, it's, it's, you know, it's it's a, a matter of language and, and how it is insufficient to, um, in terms of like representation, because you know, as Shane mentioned, we have indigenous languages, but I mean, we also would need like Creole, mm. like Haitian Creole. You know, like what it's it's kind of like a very incessant um, demand that yes, sometimes is posed by by a. Cosmopolitan kind of, uh, bi-cosmopolitan type. So you so you start out with this contested
1: the the, um, the first contested territory, and you move into the second. The sight, sounds, and impossible dialogue essays, um, where there are some essays. There's also photo essays. So could you talk a little bit about um, what you were trying to do in that sort of section?
0: Uh, I think, you know, that's, you know, it's what, like four essays, um, uh, each one of which is not necessarily about specifically an urban space, although certainly Rodrigo's essay about Lima is, um, but they all are kind of pretty located in urban spaces, different urban spaces. Um, And then there's two, um, a short interview segment with Martin Crudo and a... um, Uh, a short piece by Olga and I that we did to sort of attach to this kind of infamous uh, moment when the Cuban band Porno para Ricardo kind of disrupts public communist space (laughs) in Havana. Um, And there's also, one of the essays is actually a photo essay. It's a visual essay um, uh, that also kind of traverses across the Americas from one kind of major metropolitan space to the next uh, by Amina Cruz. Um, I think our idea there was mostly sort of like Um, How to think about putting the visual side in dialogue with the sonic side or the musical side of punk Um, and recognizing that, you know, sometimes that kind of coheres into like, you know, a coherent kind of punk aesthetic. And other times there's like silences happening or sort of unspoken kind of. Uh, things happening, um, like would certainly be the case, for example, in Rodrigo's essay where he's sort of interested in trying to put Peruvian punk, qua punk, from the 80s into dialogue with this other kind of Andean-derived but very urbanized uh, musical form known as chicha, uh, which has, it's not, it doesn't quote-unquote sound punk at all, um, but it it it's very punkish in the way that it's very DIY, it's very sort of associated with urban marginality, um, an Andean urban migrant, you know, figure, um, and aesthetically is very provocative as well, right? And it's very colorful um, uh, for the time and space. It was very shocking for like your average middle-class kind of white Peruvian to sort of see or hear these these kinds of musics, right? Um, so it's sort of about putting the visual into dialogue with the, the musical or sonic um, side of things, um, for the most part in, in a variety of different spaces. Um,
1: and and then you move into sort of identity, voice, and struggle in that third territory, which had some well, because it had some feminist punk things. And um, Olga, you got to talk to Alice Bag, so there's always that,
2: which which is always awesome. <laughs> that that was really great. That was like one of the really you know very interesting inspiring moments of the whole process of publishing the book and and um you know um dealing with with a number of people like can can be tiring but that was a moment where like oh wow like you get to talk to alice back for like two hours and um so yeah this this uh part also has um well it has my essay um sadistic chola sex and biology in, in punk literature it has um, Judy Rodríguez essay on uh, Puerto Rican punk um, and Merarit Vieras alcazar essay on um, uh, uh, feminist groups in in Mexican punk that she's been working with for 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 a while and doing really close collaboration autonographic work and all that um, and yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's the part of the book that specifically wants to target issues about uh, feminism, sexuality, and race too. Um, and um, in in Judy's essay, for example, she she definitely tackles the question of like punk traveling, right? And it she sort of. Um, she makes it into how the um, the, colon- the the basically how um, U.S. imperialism and the the fact that Puerto Rico is a U.S. colony um, makes punk into kind of sort of like an organic emergence from em- from that territory, right? Like so, how punk. Um, could, could, could be seen as totally original from from Puerto Rico in its, you know, colonial, as as this colonial space. Um, And we also got some of the um, the, uh, fan scenes from Colombia by Minerva, um, Campion and and Rapiña, and... James Spooner um, interview that Chain did uh, a while ago that is part of the trailer too. Um, so yeah, we have all of that in that in that uh, section.
0: One of the bigger sections, actually.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. No.
1: Yeah. There's also uh, you know the interview with. Um, James Spooner, who sort of started Afro Punk, which, uh, as you talk of, I think it says in the beginning, which started out as something really small but has become really big, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I mean, really big, and something he divorced himself for for precisely that reason, <laughs> which we talk we talk about. He gives a you know, a not overly detailed, but enough information to sort of understand the, the kind of conflicts and the sort of evolution of that originally extremely DIY kind of initiative um, that he, he was central to, and his film was central to from 2003. And then just a few years later, it starts blowing up into this really kind of, kind of grotesque commercial enterprise. Um, I mean, I'm not putting words in his mouth. He's clearly very upset about the direction that it took. And that's why he chose to, to opt out um, but it's he was he's a super nice guy and yeah it was a really interesting interview for sure um, and I don't know how many other places um, he now has a um, a graphic novel that just just came out actually or kind of like a graphic memoir that just came out called the High Desert so plug plug for that um, for people who are curious. Um, uh, but he's a really nice guy i don't know how often or how open he's been with that particular story and i think it's an important one actually because a lot of people who would go to like the afro punk of 2018 or 2019 or today would be confronting a really different thing than that the thing he tried to set up back in 2003 2004 so um it's an interesting thing for sure
1: yes yes i um I went to grad school in Philadelphia and lived in Philadelphia for a while. And it was during that, that 2000, it started in 2003. So I remember that beginning, which yes, looks a little different. <laughs> yeah, than
0: yeah, 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 it does yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He t- uh, in the interview, he's, there's a moment where he's telling him what this recent well, it was recent at the time of the interview. This is now like whatever, three years ago, I guess, but um, um, we're at one of the more um, contemporary super commercial uh, versions of Afropunk, this black punk wrote in DIY Sharpie on a white t-shirt, you know, Afropunk has sold out for white consumption, um, which, you know, is like the, the very kind of standard punk gesture to like, fuck you, basically. Right. And got kicked out like of a punk festival. <laughs> and that, that sort of shows the level of kind of absurdity or difference between what it, how it started and where it, where it went. Right. So, um, the desire to purge it of, you know, somebody who's just, you know, trying to make a statement basically. Right. And, um, anyway, so that's in the interview. And
2: and I would like to add something about my interview with, um, Alice back in a more articulated way, because I was like, like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like uh, the whole thing. I was like, I probably wouldn't know what to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, okay. Um, so yeah, it, it came actually because we we saw her performing and, and talking at um, IU Bloomington. Um, so I I asked her for the interview and and we met and it was this incredible moment to um, as a punk scholar interview someone that was there at the very. Seminal point of the LA scene, like the the Latina of the LA scene as she appears in, in uh, the decline of Western civilization, right? Um, so it was it was a it was a great moment in that sense to, to, to meet Alice back, but also I in at that moment I I recently um, I was just reading her, her memoir, Violence Girl. So, we in this interview talk a lot about the work that became, that came after the bags, um meaning he, her work with Vaginal Davis, um, in um, that, that Cholita band and castration squad, which is like, I mean, she was one of the punks of the LA scene that was kind of like more artsy and more, um, aesthetically provocative than, you know, all the people that came later. Um, um, and, and she was, um, and we talked a, a lot about that, a lot about like, what was her, her you know her her work as an artist and as an activist after, um, after the, the the late '70s and and she has this very interest interesting drive to go back to Latin America constantly, which is something that um, she's now exploring in its full. Like she's been in Mexico City for like the last six months or something, you know, connecting with um punk um, mexican punks that are doing work there and sort of like kind of like re- recuperating recovering in this very um you know idealistic way her her roots to some sense um and and we also talk about something that I consider that is very important throughout the the volume because we end with the Chavs, the, the chavas activas del punk manifesto, and they are uh, really hardcore in their intensity and in their level of commitment, um, and they are women that were um, that that were in the in the punk scene in in Mexico City in the eighties. With you know that the terrible fucked up machismo that happens in Mexico, and they endure all of these decades, and they haven't declined, like they haven't uh, give like one bit, and and it's interesting the way that Alice and the chaps are totally embracing this idea of aging while a woman and aging while being a punk woman and what does it mean and it means like you know a very radical um a very radical position in terms of like day-to-day um you know um women oppression in, in many senses
1: yes no i i did
2: I mean, I love the zine stuff
1: anyway, but I really enjoyed reading in that, like some of the things in that section that really get at sort of what women are doing and sort of the feminist aspects and the femzines and what's coming out of um, Colombia as well as Mexico City and all of that. So, yeah. And then it ends with Alice Baggs. So you've got to be excited. <laughs> It's a good section. It's a good yeah, section. It is, um, but and then you move into sort of, um, sort of states, borders, and violence, and that is, I think it's just that whole section is just kind of different. What you were calling paraphernalia. Um, yeah, yeah. So, could you talk? A, I think there's a novel excerp, excerpt in there, right? Um, so, what's yeah. going on, sort of, in that section?
0: Well, I mean, I guess we could both speak to that a little bit. I mean, that's one of the things I liked about um, our embrace of what we call heterogeneity in the introduction is also just, you know, and like, you know, here's a bunch of places in the Americas. We're not pretending to cover everywhere, but here's everywhere we talked about. Um here's these people who range from like, you know, tried and true institutional academics like myself and like Olga, to independent artists, to journalists, to photographers, to zinesters, to like, you know, 50 some year old Mexican punks who haven't given up, et cetera, and everything in between. And from all different places, like we also at the level of structuring the book are like, it's not like each section must have two essays and two pieces of paraphernalia, <laughs> you know, like, fuck that, like, there's a section that has four essays and, you know, or here's a section that has two essays here's one that has four here's one that has four pieces of paraphernalia and no essays like it just depends on what we felt like kind of came together and so this section was no nope, you know, essay lists right and it's just four different fair, you know relatively short pieces it starts off with uh what a uh, started off as Stuart schrader's um uh he runs uh, an online sort of uh website kind of review space called Shitfy. Um, I forget the exact quote, but it's like, you know, dedicated to the worst music on the planet. <laughs> He's like actively interested in like the the, the hard, harshest sounds, the most noisy, the most unmarketable kind of musics between like punk and metal and noise and extreme stuff. Um, anyway, he, he published this review several years ago about um, Tercer Mundo, which is a Mexico City, a Mexico-based band. Um, not Mexico City. Um, I'm forgetting uh uh con la M. anyway, uh, somewhere else in Mexico, Monterrey, Monterrey. They were based in Monterrey. Um, and and he kind of redid the review, it was a record review of an EP, and he redid the review and incorporated interview segments with people from the band, people from the label that put it out and so on. And then it moves on to um, Julio Duran, uh, which Olga could talk a little bit more, more about. She writes about his novel, which is set in Peru's 1980s kind of war uh, amidst the punk scene. It's got a short kind of kind of photo documentary kind of aspect, Pat Pietrafesa, who's Argent, a, a longtime Argentine punk. Uh, really active in the queer scene and the sort of feminist scene and the punk scenes going back to the 80s and, and Buenos Aires um, and she does sort of kind of commentaries on these kind of old classic photos and zine segments um, and then a final piece by Carmen torre Perez um, uh, which is kind of a commentary and also very kind of visual uh, and oral history kind of based piece uh, about some of the the, the remaining kind of original freakies from the Havana, Cuba, Havana, Havana, scene, um, and gets into that. I don't know if people know much about this, but it gets into that whole super complicated thing of the special period and the crisis moment and the way that in parts of the freaky scene at the time, we're talking like late eighties, turn of the nineties. Um, people started self-injecting, uh, HIV. Uh, it's a long complicated story. Um, Uh, but, you know, she talks about that and a lot of other things, the kind of materiality of that scene, the kind of chaos of that moment for Cubans generally and Cuban punks in particular. But um, Olga could say something about Julio's, Julio's piece.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, before Julio's piece, I wanted to say something about uh, Pat's piece. Um, So this, the, the big myth, because, um, um, Rock there was something called rock en Espanol, uh, which means like um rock in Spanish, which which was like a kind of a commercial um brand of a branch of um Argentinian and Chilean punk that you know was imported in, in many um Latin American places and that happened in the eighties and that made the Argentinian punks sort of like totally invisible. Um, And one of the things I remember being in grad school and working, you know, talking to an Argentinian friend and he was like, well, there there was no punk in Argentina. Um, That we only had rock and we only had, you know, like these bands that were really into the Beatles sound or into... um, the Rolling Stone sound, kind of thing, you know. Um, so, what I like about Pat's work is that she she shows punks, sexual workers, feminists, all like you know, trying to, in very little numbers, all trying to like politically intervene um, right after the dictatorship, uh, which which is a very interesting. Moment and then Pat herself has a, a really um, cool work because she's she's also working on uh, cumbia, which is chicha, the, the music from Peru that Shane was referring to. It's also a, a sort of cumbia, but Peruvian cumbia. So the book has all of these moments where punk is also. Interpolated, it's also contested, and it's also, you know, being um, modeled and like twisted by other kind of sounds, like in in Judy's essay is reggaeton, right? Um, so I think that's another thing that doesn't have anything to do with Julius piece, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's but it's interesting about the, the book itself, which is not offering, you know, a, a, a very kind of, um, you know, white punk connoisseur dude kind of explanation of, of in terms of the sound. Um, so it's telling you that I'm, in Latin America, you know, the we sort of, uh, this is my town, exoticizing, but shit's mixed up, you know? And it's, it's impossible to like clearly del- delineate um, things and peoples and like their cultures, you know. Um, so, um, okay, so I'm going to talk about Julio's A thing. It's um, it it it's what I consider one of the most aesthetically uh, pleasing and um, you know, um, it, it's it's one of the mo- most beautiful literary um, writings of the of the punk scene. Um, this coming from me, that I have a background in literature. So I'm I'm always, (laughs) even though I don't want, I'm always like, um, you know, fixating on, on language and how it sounds and what it does. Um, so, um, he's, 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 um, he, he did this, he was, he published it in 2001 and it was a self publication. It was self published. Um, and I remember Julio, like, you know, in Lima at that time, going around with copies of his novel. And it was like, kind of like cardboardish and like super artisanal kind of. Um, yeah, a giant scene. Um, and just you know, giving it to giving it to people, to to literary critics, to like just writers, um, and it's it's kind of like an autobiographical uh, piece where he like um, the there's this protagonist called El Chivolo, like the little kid or the kid, and um, he is basically you know like trying to figure out um, his. Hisself and his life. So in that sense, it's um, it's a bildungsroman. It's like um, what do you say that in English? A uh, coming-of-age uh, book. Um, so it's about this this kid from a working-class neighborhood who happens to be the my my neighborhood too. Um, you know, uh, encountering the punk scene and punks and and being sort of mentored by these um kind of like punk ideologue who's really radical and who is you know kind of like s- partially seducted by the insurgencies meaning the um shiny path and um and, and um Tupac Amaru revolutionary movement at that time. So it's it's a novel that explores really way really well um, this coming of age aspect. This like finding um, a refuge in punk during a time of war, and at the same time the connections that happen. And, and Shane has studied this in, in his book. The connect, the connection that that you know happens between uh, punk. Radicality and 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 you know the 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 critique that the insurgencies did to the to the Peruvian state too. So maybe may, oh sorry. So maybe you can you sh- you can talk a little bit about that, no,
0: Shane? Uh, no, I think you did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my book is kind of a, my 2016 book called Punk and Revolution. It came out with Duke University Press. Um, it's also kind of how Olga and I met or how we ended up knowing each other. Um, the, the fact that we were both interested in this, right, sort of completely independently. Um, it, it's, it's, it doesn't take the literary manifestations into account in the book, but it's it's a kind of academic version of that story about like a punk scene in Lima, Peru that emerged in the 80s and going into the early 90s during a moment of super open conflict, like what's called the kind of internal armed conflict between Marxist insurgencies, mostly a Maoist insurgency known as the Shining Path and um, this very, you know, kind of classically repressive Latin American state. Um, I think the interesting caveat simply being that, like, if you're punk and you're rebellious, it means one thing in one context and potentially something radically different if you're in a context where like, there was actually a proposal on the table to like take the state, (laughs) right? Um, And reformulate radically an entire society. And since punk is much more allied with sort of anarchist philosophy and praxis, it gave rise to a little tiny group of people who thought of that moment in different terms that were not simply Marxist or, or, you know, obviously not statist and something else entirely different. Right. Um, and, and it was, so it's just, it's just an interesting political phenomenon in addition to being musical and artistic and, and so on and so forth. So, um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, Julio's novel is about that. And it's, it is, as she said, lar- largely significantly autobiographical. So it's about, you know, He's kind of the Tibolo, <laughs> basically. Um, so, um.
1: and and you end with like your your final sort of section is on those ideas of individualism, of hope and despair, and 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 thinking about um, sort of this. I don't know if it's a, it's not necessarily a culmination, but sort of what this means. So, you want to talk about that sort of final territory
0: sure uh yeah so as you said it's called individualisms of hope and despair i think maybe i came up with that one the title for it um uh, and i'll be honest like maybe partly as default (laughs) like here are these other four things what are they um and i you know and you know so everything's Obviously, everything is partially an artifact, but um, it felt once I was kind of standing back and looking at them. Basically, there's an essay, my essay called Not Your Punk. Uh, it is largely focused on kind of telling as creatively as I could the story of Question Mark, the front, front man, the, the, the lead singer for Question Mark and the Mysterians, and Ed Sanders, who is the, the singer for the band The Fugs. These are like sort of proto punk 1960s, turn of the 1970s bands. Um, uh, who turn out to be just radically weird individuals. <laughs> just like really weird folks with really interesting, complicated thoughts in their heads about who they are. And they're not at all kind of easily confinable into like simple categories, right? Including categories of punk or hippie or, or identity categories or any of the above. They're really sort of invested in this notion of kind of crafting your own kind of individual utopia in some way. Um, and then I started looking at these other things, like there's a, a little interview segment between myself and Ian Mackay that was from several years ago, obviously, as we all know, um, the you know kind of coiner of the term straight edge, unwillingly, unwittingly sort of setting into motion this whole entire movement, right, which it was never intended to be. Um, and there's just this line that came out of that interview where he thought of punk as like you know a moment of self-definition right A sort of a chance to try to stake a claim on who you are in relation to whoever else you're involved with uh and who you're not <laughs> who you don't want to be right and kind of the broader sweep of what society presents to you and um and it turns out it gets combined with um these other pieces there's a a scene report kind of style short commentary provided by Jess Rea, uh, Brazilian. Uh, She's also an academic, she has a PhD, and I think she's now working at University of Virginia in Charlottesville, but she's from Brazil, um, from Sao Paulo, Um, and a long-term participant in kind of a straight edge scene in Sao Paulo. So it's like sort of putting that into dialogue with like the coiner of of straight edge. Um, You know, what does it mean to be like a positive punk, a punk with a positive attitude rather than nihilistic one? and there's, there's some kind of, there's some play with melancholy and despair a little bit in my essay. And then if you look at the poetry uh, excerpts that we included from this Colombian, he's dead. He's the one contributor who's no longer with us, um, Giovanni Oquendo. Uh, he's from the Medellín Colombia scene from the 1980s and 1990s. So this is like not to play on a horrible Netflix stereotype, but this is kind of the Narcos moment of, of Colombia. Um, which, you know, provides its own kind of complex kind of um, uh, implications for growing up punk in that particular moment, in that particular scene. He was also gay um, and played in a series of bands. And he just, you know, basically after he was dead, they found like just reams of poetry and paintings and self-portraits and like plays and like all kinds of things um, uh, in his little room where he lived. Um, And they were extremely dark, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so we tried it to represent that kind of very dark side of, of punk as well um, a little bit and kind of put them into dialogue with these more hopeful or more sort of positive kind of um, proclamations that have been put out there through song and movement and, and so on. So that's kind of what that last section is about. It's kind of ends up being focused on a series of individuals for the most part, either the people writing it or who are being written about um, or interviewed in that last section. So, um, that's it. And then it closes off with our manifest with Magos Rebelle's manifesto. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it.
1: Which is beautiful. Um, so, you, I mean, we've been talking for a while. So what is, is there anything you're working on now, either with this collection, or this is like my always last question, that is there anything you want to promote? So I know, not sure um, if there's, I know that we're in a weird time, right, <laughs> of being able to travel or not travel. Um, but if there's any, la- you know, those last things, something going on with this text or something you're working on, something else either of you are working on that you want to get out there.
0: I mean, I can say real quickly about this particular text, and then I don't. I'm, Olga might want to talk about her book, which is at least partially connected to this. Um, this book is now out. It's currently out in a very expensive hardback version, which is obviously intended for like institutions and libraries. It's uh, we have a deal so that it comes out in paperbook paperback probably you know later this year, probably you know roughly a year after the launch date of the hardback version. Um, so far i think the only other thing we have lined up is that russ and mike who are you know some of the core uh, series editors for the punk the global punk series at intellect have a thing on january 25th um i believe it's 7:30 gmt time so their time which would be like 2:30 hour time i believe um i don't know exactly what it is it's like a launch of all four of the books, so ours included, and I think it's probably just kind of like a roundtable Q and A with, you know, representatives from each of the each of the four books. So that's going to include me and Olga, um, and and them obviously for the to talk about their their books. Um, so that's coming up in a couple of weeks, um, and then I guess we'll see see what else happens with this particular book. But um, I know this one factored into Olga's, individual, her single author book that she's working on.
2: Yeah, I'm um, working. So um, this idea of sadistic cholas that I sort of like found in one of the punk uh, pieces that I that I uh, study in this essay kind of became a, a bigger thing in terms of like I am um, really um interested in what happens during the war, how does the war and the big participation of women as soldiers and as militants and also as ideologues in the in the insurgencies, how did this totally reshape the the connections between womanhood, and trends and anger, right? Um, so how by you know effectively um, going to war, how does this change the relations between women and and violence in the country, and and specifically talking about racialized women, right? Um, so women that um, are brown or have indigenous origins or like define themselves as as black and brown, black and indigenous, and so on and so forth. So um, so my project is about. Um, Various musicians, writers, visual artists that sort of like play with the idea of uh, violence in their aesthetics and also how this is connected with um, uh, Ni Una Menos, uh, Not One Less movement that um, also Agustina Paz Frontera is is from, like uh, Agustina is... um, Argentinian, and the women that I'm looking at in my book are, are Peruvians or are part of the Peruvian Not One Less movement. Um, and if I, I want to add something about this, um, the punk manifesto by, by Las Chaps. So in this very, you know, in this vein of, like, contesting, uh, what happened there is that we, we had a conference in the UNAM Um, in the university in in Mexico City. And it was a great moment at at the end of one of the days where like Magos Rebelde uh, told us, oh, everything that you say is wrong. (laughs) Punks punks do not exist in novels. Punks exist here. We're in the streets. We're organizing, blah, 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 you know? Um, And that's how their collaboration came to be they they later came and and sold their stuff their their um work their their clothing their uh cassette tapes over there in the conference and then we started talking and and we we were like we want to incorporate your manifesto there because it's it's what made more sense and it was also a very um Cool moment of the whole um, of the whole process of the book because we were in Mexico City and we we sort of had the the opportunity of going visit El Chapo, which is this gigantic punk um, market in Mexico, and like you know, like just like being surrounded by punk or roam and roaming around and looking at at music and, and and clothing and just like you know being. Being in a punk space was a really a really good moment for the whole collective of of the book for everyone involved every you know all the people that that went to that conference. Um, so I just want to add that, and I and one of the things that you appreciate the most about this book, Rebecca, which is you know the paraphernalia and the scenes and and the art in it, is like one of the things that complicated the whole process the most because academics you know, even though we work with these things constantly and also in the classroom, right? Um, it's sort of like unthinkable, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like,
0: yeah. we're happy happy to analyze punks we just don't want you to talk we don't want to talk to any of them
1: (laughs) (laughs) i was was super excited when you were like we're not going to have a conclusion it's just this manifesto and um i was like this is great (laughs) because i do i love the imagery with the translate i i just yes that made me it makes me happy But it's been in the visual sort of having I, I you know, yeah, I do agree. It's complicated, like the visual aspects, like having a visual essay, people will be like, but there's no words there. That's not an essay. And it's yeah. like, but it is an essay. So yeah,
0: yeah. totally totally. Yeah.
1: But yeah, but so I mean we I could probably talk forever, but it's been really great. Um, Olga Rodriguez, Leah, and Shane Green, who are two of the editors of Punk Las Americas Edition. Thank you so much for talking with me today for New
0: Books Network. Thank you. Our Thank pleasure. You.